It's my pleasure to introduce our speaker for this morning, Dean Miller. Dean was born and raised in the state of Ohio. After graduation, he attended Fried Hardeman College, later now is Fried Hardeman University. He's part of the first four-year class to graduate from that school with a Bible major. After graduating, he went into local ministry where he served churches in both Tennessee as well as Ohio for 45 years. 33 of those years were spent in Hartsville, Ohio, at that congregation there. Dean was married for 41 years to his wife, Ruth Ann, and between the two of them, they brought three daughters into this world, as well as five grandchildren, and I'm told, a dog. They are all involved in his widowhood workshop, a ministry. His wife, Ruth Ann, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease about eight and a half years before her death, on Christmas Day in 2013. That loss of life and experience motivated him to start this widowhood or workshop. Uh, over the years, he has conducted over 40 workshops in 50 states. He's written two books, When the End Comes and Before the End Comes, and is presently working on a third after the end comes. Friday evening and Saturday um, were some incredible sessions that Dean shared with us. He brought forth some in, extremely important material, both of his life experience with the loss of a mate, as well as interviewing countless numbers of people and having their stories shared with them about their loss. He's also spent a lot of time studying extensively what it is to work through being a widow or a widower. His lessons were informative, extremely valuable, insightful, sobering, heart-wrenching, but also had some humor in it. He wove together God's word as he comforted us and encouraged us, along with some human stories, as well as his humor as well. I just, I just can't recommend uh, Brother Miller's lessons to you enough for all ages without me taking up any more of his time, Brother Dean Miller. Cheryl Wing, of all the places that we've been together, and all the experiences that we've had in worshiping with congregations, have you ever experienced a more touching, impactful time of worship? Thank you are two words, woefully inadequate, to express my attitude for the experience of being with you this weekend and especially being with you this morning. I almost feel like for me to get up here and say anything would taint the beauty of what we've done. Thank you for the great impression you have made on me all weekend, but especially this morning. It was in the late 1980s, and it was Thanksgiving weekend. We went to visit with my parents and my wife's parents who lived fairly close together, but they lived about 50 minutes from where my family lived. So we went for the Thanksgiving weekend and enjoyed a wonderful time. We left on Saturday night to go back home because that's what preachers do when they're out of town. Because Sunday mornings come, it seems like, three times a week. That particular sun Saturday night, it was misting rain. We were driving north on a state route. And as we drove north on that state route, we came to an intersection where my 1985 Pontiac Bonneville broadsided a 1970-something Ford Pinto. 
at 45 miles an hour. The Burfords were visiting in Hartville, Ohio that night, that weekend, and that night especially because of a wedding. Mr. and Mrs. Burford were among the very familiar, very well-known Mennonite people in Northeast Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Many people knew the Burford family. He missed the stop sign as he proceeded from my left to my right as he headed east. A few hours after that accident, his wife Eileen died in Alliance Community Hospital in Northeast Ohio. My wife and I went to the hospital she was injured physically. I was just bruised a little bit. I got a hold of the elders that night and I explained to them what had happened. And I told them I was in no condition to preach. I just couldn't do it. They understood. My wife walked on crutches for a while after that accident. The one thing I did request of the elders is for me to come over before the assembly was dismissed and explain to everybody about what had happened because I knew what was going to happen. I knew when the news media got a hold of the fact that one preacher blew his car into the side of another preacher, and especially at that particular well-known in intersection, it was going to become something all over the news. So I explained to the church what had happened. The hardest time as a parent that I'd ever had up to that point was that Sunday morning, sitting down and explaining to my three little girls, who were also in the car but not injured, that the car that their father was driving in that accident caused the death of Miss Eileen Burford. I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed when I went to the church building that morning and explained what had happened. My wife was not able to attend Miss Burford's memorial service, but I did. It was a packed house in Hartville, Ohio at that Mennonite church because everybody knew the Burfords. I was sitting about halfway down in the middle of the auditorium and Mr. Burford during the period of that memorial service happened to notice that I was there and he asked me to stand. And at that point he publicly thanked me for helping get his wife to heaven. I was overwhelmed. I didn't know how to react. When the charges were brought against him and he had to appear to court, I went to the courthouse. And there were a lot of Mennonite people there backing him up. I hated he was going through what he was going through. I felt overwhelmed because I knew that he felt overwhelmed. Boy, life sometimes can put you in situations where it's just hard. It's just really difficult like it's never been before in your life. After that, a few years, our youngest daughter, who at the time was 10 years old, was asymptomatically, pretty much asymptomatically diagnosed with a neurological issue. The neurosurgeon said, it's really not a big deal. I can do a surgery and I can fix this. And so she had half of her head shaved at 10 years old and he did the surgery and everything seemed to be fine. But then there was a post-surgical visit a month later and she was in big trouble. What had happened to her that that particular time is, I guess in your brain there are what are called 
cerebral aqueducts. In a cerebral aqueduct, there was a, a restriction or a constriction. And so what was happening was inside her brain, her brain was being pushed up against her skull. And we did not know it. And the purpose of the surgery was to go into her brain and implant something that could help monitor the condition of her brain and the cerebral pressure. But what had happened was that that pushing up of that brain against the skull, and then when that pressure was relieved to be normal, then what happened was there was bleeding between her brain and her skull. And now, instead of her brain being pushed up against her skull, now the blood was causing her brain to be pushed down. And she was in big trouble. Between Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and Cleveland, Ohio, there was one and only one pediatric neurosurgeon, Dr. Mapstone. We went to University Hospitals of Cleveland, the Rainbow Baby and Children's Hospital, one of the most renowned children's hospitals in the world. And that one neurosurgeon took her under his wing. That summer, she had five brain surgeries. She was in the hospital at Rainbow Baby and Children's Hospital for 33 days. Every one of those days, my wife was by her side. One time when she was in the PICU, the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit, Dr. Mapstone came in and said this, among other things. He said, neurosurgeons are often the bearers of bad news. That was an observation he made during that visit with us. It was as if he was prepping us for the worst. Five brain surgeries. Head totally shaved, totally unresponsive, day in and day out. In that comatose-like state, my wife was by her side. One day, my wife, in her room by her side, bit into a raw carrot. You know the crunching sound that comes when you chew a raw carrot. And then all of a sudden, we heard these words. What is that noise? The first words from our daughter's mouth. She was coming back. We were thrilled. Praise the Lord. But there was a problem. The damage that had been done, she didn't know how to feed herself. She couldn't walk. She was in physical and occupational therapy for months and months and months. I remember during that period of time, during those five surgeries, there was a particular time when we left her in the pre-op room and started to go back to the family waiting room. And my wife, with tears flooding down her eyes, said, I never want to walk down this hall again. And within 48 hours, we had to walk through that hall again. That was such an overwhelming time in our lives. Praise the Lord, there is a good ending. If she were here today, you'd never know what she had been through. Oh, she still has the uh, equipment in her head, and her cranial pressure is still controlled, and it has been years since she has had to have a shunt revision. My wife was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in her early 50s. I was unacquainted with Parkinson's disease except for the tremors. That's all I ever knew about Parkinson's disease. But if you do a search and you do some research about Parkinson's disease, there are 
12, 13, 14 different potential symptoms of Parkinson's disease, and she did not have tremors, but she had over 10 of the other symptoms. I should have known something was fishy. Whenever I would uh, go to bed and sit up in bed and read, and I would hear the shower run and run and run. But I thought, well, I guess that's what women do. They just spend a lot of time in the shower, and I never had a second thought about it, but that was a sign. It's called bradykinesia. It's like living in a slow-motion world. As I look back, that was the first visible sign she had Parkinson's disease. That gradual decline for eight and a half years, well, it was a fast decline compared to most Parkinson's patients. Most Parkinson's patients live for 20, even over 30 years after their diagnosis, and they don't die because of Parkinson's disease. But my wife was an exception. It was a steep decline for eight and a half years. She lost the ability to walk. She lost the ability to hug, to kiss. She lost the ability to talk. She became a person who was totally dependent. And there were times during that caregiving phase of our marriage that I would leave her bed, her hospital bed in our house, and I would go upstairs to the bathroom and I would pray a three-word prayer. Lord, help me. That's all I knew to say. I'm glad he can listen to our hearts. I didn't know what else I could possibly say. Caregiving was the hardest thing, and I say that despite the fact I hate widowhood, and it's hard. To me, that caregiving experience was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. There were times during that phase of eight and a half years I thought I was going to snap. I was overwhelmed. You know, there are times in our lives when we experience things where we just feel overwhelmed. I struggled to try to find a definition of what it means to be overwhelmed and could find nothing that I thought worked. And then it dawned on me, why not search for synonyms? And so I did. And I found a couple that pretty well describe what it's like to be overwhelmed. Submerged is one I was married for 41 years, and I have three daughters, and I suffer from an affliction called female exposure overdose. <laughs> I don't claim to be normal. I'm not even a normal man. One of the abnormalities about me is I wash dishes by hand. I have a dishwasher. As a matter of fact, when I moved to Villarica, Georgia, where I presently live, the first week in March of last year, during that first year, evidently one of my daughters had been at the house and put dishes in the dishwasher, and I didn't know where they were for months. <laughs> I don't wash dishes. As a matter of fact, the other day I reported to my daughter and my three granddaughters who lived there in the same city with me, I said, did you all know that the inside of the dishwasher at Pap's house is gray? I didn't know it was even gray in there. I wash dishes by hand. Some things are not to be submerged in my water. It will even say that sometimes. I love to cook and I love to bake, and so that means I have to wash dishes. I told you I wasn't normal. And I wash them by hand, but I'm real careful not to submerge some things. You know, when you submerge something, it goes under, totally, completely under. That's what it's like when you're overwhelmed. It is like you are sinking. Crushed is another synonym. That's a good synonym. That fits, too. You know, sometimes you're so pressed, so heavily burdened, that you just feel like you are being crushed by the negative circumstances you are experiencing. So your emotions are really high. Your emotions are in overdrive. When your emotions are in overdrive, 
You don't think good. You're just not, you're human. You're just not capable of thinking real good. So it's a real struggle in a time of great emotional turmoil or great emotional ecstasy, sometimes to think straight and make good decisions. I am so thankful that David transparent about a difficult time in his life, and I don't know all the details about exactly when this was in his life, that he wrote Psalm 31. But I'll guarantee you in Psalm 31, that old boy was overwhelmed, and there is no question about it. I know that, because take a look with me at verse 9 beginning in Psalm 31. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among my enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and I am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I hear the slander of many, and fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. Do you have any doubt whatsoever that this man is speaking during a period of overwhelming feelings and circumstances at that point in time. This old boy is a mess. This is the man after God's own heart, the great man of faith, the shepherd boy who became king. He's a mess. I read to you from the New King James Version, and using that same version, I want to note some words. Verse 4 talks about a net that was pulled out that's been secretly laid for him. Verse 7 uses the word trouble. And then also in verse 7, there's the word adversities. In verse 9, the word trouble occurs again. In verse 11, the word reproach occurs. In verse 11, also the word repulsive occurs. Then in verse 13, slander is mentioned. And then in verse 13, again, scheming is mentioned. And then... In verse 15, persecution is mentioned. He's dealing with an extremely difficult time in his life. What is it that you've experienced in your life that has caused you to feel overwhelmed? Sometimes it's financial stress. Sometimes it can be a health diagnosis. It could be caregiving. It could be a child that's been lost to the world that the devil seems to have taken control of. It could be the betrayal of a friend that you love dearly and would have permitted to care for your soul, but they stuck a knife in your back, or maybe they deserted you. There are so many life circumstances where we can just feel submerged in the negativity of our circumstances. We can feel so pressed by the things that we're experiencing. And life becomes a real struggle because we have become the broken vessel where our bones are wasting away. And fear just seems everywhere. Life sometimes... It's not just unfair. It can be cruel. It can be brutal. What should we do when we're overwhelmed? I think David in this psalm gives us some insight, gives us some great advice in that regard. The first thing is to trust the Lord. Take a look at how often that's mentioned here in this psalm. Verse 1, in you, O Lord, I put my trust then if you drop down to verse 6, I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. 
Then look at verse 14. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies. And then there's that quote that we often associate with Jesus on the cross. Look at verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Trust the Lord. Trust is when we participate in an entrustment, a turnover of sorts. You young couples who have children, you seek care, child care on occasion. And by the way, let me tell you about the best, the wisest place to go for child care. Go to your parents, to the children's grandparents. If you work it right, you can get your parents to pay to take care of your children. I mean, don't hire a teenager. First go to the grandparents. Some of them, some of us will pay to be in the presence of those adorable kids. That's an entrustment. You take your kids and you turn them over. That's what we do with childcare. When you go to the bank and you make a deposit, it's an entrustment. You're giving them the care of your finances, of whatever amount you're giving to them. Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, one of the most familiar passages in that great book in the Old Testament. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Did you notice there's a couple of verbs in the New King James Version at the end of verse 3 where he pleads with the Lord and says, lead me, guide me. That is evidence of someone who wants to trust in the Lord. How good am I at making decisions and directing my own life when my emotions are in overdrive? I need to be careful to trust in the Lord. Now, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, says what we ought to do, trust. Tells us in whom we ought to trust. Trust in the Lord. Tells us how to do that with all of our heart. Tells us what that means. Do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him. Let him lead you and guide you. When we are overwhelmed in our life, just like we are in times of great prosperity, what we always need to do, besides praising the Lord, is trust in the Lord in our daily life. Trust in the Lord with everything that you are, and everything that you have, trust the Lord. Great advice from David. But also remember his goodness. He was in such grave pain, struggling mightily, burdened severely. But one thing he did not let happen, and I greatly admire him for that because... I'm not always able to do this. He refused to let his burdens blind him to his blessings. That can be hard, especially when you're really cranked up emotionally, negatively emotionally. Take a look at verse 19. Oh, how great is your goodness! which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You will hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in the strong city. One of the things that is interesting when you read the Bible 
and God reveals to us something about a characteristic that he has. There is often a modifier that has a way of making that word like it's on steroids. Look at the word goodness. How great is your goodness. He doesn't have just a smidgen or a lot. He has great goodness. What about his kindness? Did you notice that? Did you notice that there in verse 21? Marvelous is the word used in the New King James Version. Marvelous kindness. You know, it's the great goodness of God. It's the marvelous kindness of God that is the source of all of our blessings. Where my wife is buried, the marker has on it, in between her name and my name, a little shield. And that little shield has some words on it from Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good. And a stronghold in day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. The Lord's good. Life sometimes can feel very bad. We can feel very bad. But that doesn't change the fact the Lord's good. And it's that great goodness, that marvelous kindness, that's the source of all of our blessings. Every good gift, James said, Chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. From the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. In other words, He is always consistently a giver of good gifts in our life. But sometimes, because of what we're experiencing in life, it doesn't feel that way. On Friday night, we talked about Job. What a great man of God. What an awesome story. What an incredible, inspirational man he was. He wasn't perfect, though. He was a man. And he even went to the point, remember, for those of you who were there, chapter 14, verse 1, he said life was full of trouble. Man that is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. See, he was so troubled by his troubles, Job was, that he was really struggling. If your life is full of trouble, then there isn't any room for blessings or comprehension about blessings. He struggled. David did a better job in Psalm 31 in the midst of all of the badness of his life that he so poetically describes in that psalm. Great is your goodness. Marvelous is your kindness. My kids grew up on the Smurfs, and I guess I did too because I watched it with them. Gargamel and Azrael were awful. Those two were the enemies of the Smurfs. They would sometimes create havoc for those poor Smurfs. But there was an experienced Papa Smurf. He was always the ace in the hole. One time, Gargamel and Azrael got them cornered, surrounded them in a ring of fire, and raised that fire high. The Smurfs were going to become toast, literally. Papa Smurf said, Sing! Sing with me! I'll not sing you the song. I'll save you that. I'll quote you the lyrics. Goodness makes the badness go away. Goodness makes you happy every day. Badness cannot start when there's goodness in your heart. Goodness makes the badness go away. One of the things that we need to remember when life seems so bad is that there's still goodness. There's still a lot of goodness. Despite Job's struggles, He still had a beating heart. The blood was still coursing through his veins. He still had a wife. He may have wanted to exchange her uh, at some point, but he still had a wife. He had friends. Friends, they weren't perfect, but he had friends that dropped everything and came to him. 
and came to him for the right reason. They wanted to mourn with him and comfort him and help him. More than anything, he had a God in heaven who was watching over him and making sure that he wasn't experiencing anything that he could not handle by the grace of God. And that God was continuing to bless him. And Job's story is a great story of victory. You see, even though it may seem like all we have is burdens, it's never really that way. Never. We need to remind ourselves of that when we're so overwhelmed by our circumstances. And then, wait on him. I have a game when I go to Walmart. I even played that game here uh, in town at Walmart. I have this game whenever I get what I want. By the way, I don't like scan and go. When they give me a W-2 form at the end of every year for what I'm doing to help them out, that's when I'll go through scan and go, okay? I get in line because I want to talk to the cashier. I want to interact with the other people in the line. And I have this game when I approach, okay, which line can I get through the quickest? I always lose. But I'm still determined at some point in time, I'm going to win one sometime. So I'm going to keep playing the game. We're not real good at waiting, are we? None of us are. All of us have a degree of impatience, and some of us have a boatload, an overdose of impatience, and so we struggle. There are some times in your life where you find yourself in God's waiting room, and you have no idea when you're going to be able to exit that room. There's a book out there on the display table, a table where you can go and look at some books that maybe might be of help to you. There's one of those books that's titled Those Who Wait. Rosemary McKnight, who I went to school with at Fried Hardeman, wrote that book. It's really a fantastic book about this concept in the Bible of waiting on the Lord. Some translations call it hoping on the Lord That's what we need to do. It's a phrase used over 20 times in the Bible. Wait on the Lord. Look here at the last two verses of this psalm. Oh, love the Lord, all of his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope or wait on the Lord. There's a song with those lyrics, as a matter of fact. We sang even just a few moments ago about waiting on the Lord. And then there's also teach me, Lord, to wait. Some of us need a lot of teaching about waiting. If after our worship time together, you go out to the restaurant and you have someone who's a waiter who comes to you, what do waiters do? Waiters serve. Wait is a verb. Verbs are action words. Wait on the Lord. When I go to the doctor anymore, I never go empty-handed. I always take work to do because I have no idea how long I'm going to be in the big room. And then when they take me into the little room, I have no idea when I'm going to be there either. So I often carry with me work to do. Would you think it would be a good idea to open the cocoon before the butterfly emerges? Not a good idea. How about if you've got a bunch of eggs in an incubator? Think we ought to crack them before their time? Not a good idea. How long do you need to be in the Lord's waiting room in this difficult time in your life? I have no idea. All I know is that I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep trusting in the Lord with everything I have and all that I've got and all that I am. I'm going to continue to focus on his blessings and remember his goodness, and I'm going to keep serving him no matter what. I call it the Hobby Lobby verse in the Bible, that last verse in Isaiah chapter 40 that we are no doubt familiar with because it's on a lot of home interior products at Hobby Lobby.
we need to read the context of that passage. And I, then we really get the full, power, powerful sense of that last verse of the chapter. Verse 28 of Isaiah chapter 40. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. How do you change your strength? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. The Hebrew there could also be translated change. What we need to do is change our strength, which is nothing but pitiful weakness. Change our so-called strength, our real pitiful weakness, for the strength that can come by trusting in the Lord, believing in the power of His grace, not just to save us, but to sustain us no matter what we experience in our life, no matter how heartbreaking it is, no matter how troubling that it is, no matter how stressful it is, no matter how heavy the burden is. If we exchange our strength for His strength, that is constant, that is consistent. Look at the previous verses. God is our hope in time of great trauma in our life. And boy, sometimes it feels like we're going down the third time. Just like I prayed a number of times, Lord, help us. This morning, if you're burdened with the weight of sin, there is a solution, Jesus Christ. We remembered his sacrifice earlier. That sacrifice gives us an opportunity to live a guilt-free life, a life of freedom from the loss of our soul, from the loss of a relationship and a possibility of a relationship even eternally with God. This morning, we're going to sing a song of invitation if you need to come and confess your faith in Jesus and be born into God's family by baptism with a simple, trusting faith and begin that faith journey that makes a difference in your life and gives you an eternity with Him. We'd love to help you this morning. There are folks here who will love you, encourage you, and help you every step of the way. Maybe you're troubled in your life right now, burdened heavily, overwhelmed. There is help and there is hope because there's a God in heaven who loves you more than anybody and who loves you more than anything. And he has a family who are his hands, who are his huggers, who are the people who exercise the laying on of ear by being in your presence, could walk with you every step of the way during your time of overwhelming experience. If you need help, maybe you would like to share that this morning. Feel free to do that. It's okay to be transparent. All of us have baggage who've come here this morning. Every single one of us. Can't see it, but it's there. Let's be honest. Do you need some help? Feel free to respond if you'd like to while we stand and while we sing.
I am a fan of uh, the music of Lauren Daigle. She writes, or has somebody write, some really powerful lyrics. Let me share with you just a brief part of a song she sings, Trust in You. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers, as I cry out to you, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. Powerful message. As I referred to earlier, thank you is woefully inadequate, but I feel compelled to say it again. I've had a great experience. It's been so wonderful for Cheryl Wayne and I to be here. I would ask you for some favor. Number one, I'd appreciate your prayers for the Widowhood Workshop Ministry. It is a unique ministry. It is our family's passion project. My three daughters, my two sons-in-law, my five grandchildren, and Ranger, the Australian Labradoodle who graces Gainesville, Florida, are all on the team and this ministry is because of them, and we have adopted Cheryl Wayne into our family. He is Uncle Cheryl to my children and grandchildren. I would appreciate your prayers for this ministry. You know, this is not a popular or pleasant subject to talk about, so it's kind of like trying to sell a cemetery lot to a millennial to convince a church to let me come and address a subject that is something that often we choose to back away from. Your prayers would be very much appreciated. Uh, if you were not here during the uh, Friday night and Saturday sessions, feel free to take a look at the display table tables out there. Uh, I would encourage you, if you uh, know of somebody who might be uh, blessed by the ministry, there are business cards out there that you can take and share with other people. They even have my telephone number on it. My phone rings 24 hours a day and seven days a week. I can prove that by showing you my phone. But we want to uh, help people who are struggling with, uh, with loss. And we'd appreciate you letting other people know about the ministry. There is a public Facebook page for the ministry. It's three words, Widowhood Workshop Ministry. If you're on Facebook, it'd really be great if you could like and follow that uh, public Facebook page. We also have a, wed uh, a website that my son-in-law is the webmaster for. And it's simply www.widowhoodworkshop.com. And uh, we try to provide things on that website as well to try to be of help to others. We have a really neat experience coming up the last two days of July. Every year we do this. It's a widow-widower retreat. You know, we do youth meetings and we do family camps and we do marriage seminars and all kinds of different events. And I thought four years ago, why not do a widow-widower retreat? And we typically have people there from 10 to 12 different states. And uh, there are some things that you can learn about that on the website. And we would certainly want any of you to feel free to come. We have people who have flown in from Washington, who have driven down from the state of Ohio and Michigan, come from middle uh, Florida, from Houston, Texas, to come to middle Tennessee for that retreat. And if you know anybody who's widowed, it is all about encouragement. It's not a cry fest. It's not a pity party. It's also not a dating service or a marriage factory. <laughs> it's all about personal survival, personal growth, helping one another, building our social networks to help us to cope with the challenges of being widowed. So if you could share that information with others, we'd sure appreciate it. Again, woefully inadequate, but thank you. Dean, on behalf of the congregation here at Linder Road, we want to thank you so much for being with us this weekend. It's been in incredible. My wife asked me, so what number would you give this workshop? I said, I'd never been to one. So anyway, it was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your heart as well as your experiences, as well as the word of God with us. Thank you. For those of you who have visited with us this morning, we want to thank you for being here. For those of you who came to the Widowhood Workshop and are here this morning, Thank you so much for blessing our congregation with your attendance. We've so enjoyed having you uh, with us here for this uh, time together with one another. We'll be closed in a word of prayer by uh, Charles. You'd all stand. Please remember our services tonight begin at 5 o'clock.
And then, of course, our Wednesday service is at 7. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father in heaven, as our brother Butch said in the beginning of our worship time this morning, it has been and is an honor to gather together to praise you and to be together in communion, remembering Jesus and what he has done for us, and to sing and to pray, all of us together, as a large family of your people in this place. Thank you for the instructions that we have heard, the teachings that have been given to us, and that mean so much. Help us to put all of this into practice in this week, to, to have our faith grown and strengthened for having been here uh, together with you, blessing us. And now be with us as we separate. We pray all these things in the holy and blessed name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>